a sunburned nose and sand spurs on my feet that my college sweethearts in old St. Pete and their husbands saying, hey, have a cigar. Riding south past Manatee, heading down to the Florida Keys, getting things straight between Jesus and me. Thought I heard Gamble's guitar. I want to sleep beside the sea tonight, hear the crash of waves, see the tops all light. I want to be grateful for what's gone right. I want to wish upon a star. God bless old friends from way before. Bless old banjos, old country stores. Bless old Florida forevermore. And God bless Kevin's guitar. Whole lot of country, whole lot of blues, whole lot of sunshine, sand in your shoes. Sound of a player who paid its dues. Put some miles on that Mustang car. Shot a Merle, Jigger a Chet, little bit of Will McLean, I bet. Only the wind and the palms and yet. Thought I heard Gamble's guitar. God bless Gamble's guitar. Gamble's guitar from Michael Smith. It's a song written for Gamble Rogers, who passed away in 1991. And a new book was just published about Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. And I have the author on with me, Bruce Horowitz. And Bruce, welcome to Folk and Acoustic Music. Thanks so much for having me. Now, I did not know much about Gamble, but after reading your book, not only did I enjoy Gamble, I enjoyed Florida folk music, and it was such an enjoyable read. Uh, what got you interested in Gamble Rogers? Thanks so much. You know, like so many people in Florida, I, I kind of knew the name Gamble Rogers, and I knew something about him, but very little about his life. And uh, it so happens that I had a chance encounter with a neighbor of mine in Crescent Beach. His name was Bruce McEwen former state representative from Orlando. And Bruce McEwen one day walked up to me and showed me an old Polaroid photograph of two babies in diapers taken when the babies were about six months old. And he asked, do you know who this is? And I said, no. And he said, this is me and Gamble Rogers. And uh, as it turns out, uh, Bruce McEwen was Gamble's first childhood friend. Bruce McEwen's father delivered Gamble Rogers. And Gamble Rogers' father, who was a renowned architect, built the McEwen home in Orlando, so they were childhood friends. And he began to tell me this wonderful story about Gamble and Gamble's life, and it really piqued my, my curiosity and my interest. And so I went to the library to try to research some information on Gamble Rogers and found, lo and behold, there was nothing written about him. There was very little information out there. The Internet didn't have much. But yet uh, I knew people that talked about Gamble with such reverence and such respect that it just really piqued my curiosity and Bruce McEwen introduced me to some folk musicians and some of Gamble's family, and the rest uh, sort of the journey took off from there. Where was Gamble born? He was born in, in Winter Park, Winter Park, Florida. Actually born in Orlando, but he lived in, in Winter Park. And his family, I guess would you would say they're upper middle class because he spent most of his summers in Georgia, right? Yeah, his family pedigree was... Uh, Unbelievable. The architecture pedigree in his family was, was really remarkable. Three generations of architects. His father was a renowned architect. His grandfather was a renowned architect. And uh, he grew up in, in really sort of middle upper middle class life in Winter Park. And he did spend his summers at a family farm in the Nakuchi Valley, purchased by grandfathers during the war. He felt that the family really needed to be self-sufficient during the war years, so they had this farm in the Nakuchi Valley, it really was the setting that uh, inspired Gamble to write many of his stories, and he met many of the characters that, that became parts of his act during his summer spent in the Coochie Valley, which was a, an agrarian lifestyle. 
quite different from where he was growing up in Winter Park. He was expected to be an architect, I suppose, if he came from generations of architects. Wasn't that expected of him? It, it really was the expectation, and uh, that was sort of a dilemma that Gamble faced in his early years. He, he dabbled a little bit in the family firm, but his real passion and his real heart was in music and, and in folk singing and in, in writing. So uh, it really was a dilemma for Gamble, and, and uh, he eventually found his path to becoming a, a, a folk singing performer and unbelievable storyteller. Now, the architecture that his father was involved in, he's, he's built some buildings that are still standing that we know of today. That's correct. He was the designer of the Florida Supreme Court in Tallahassee, as well as uh, many of the buildings at Rolla, in, in Winter Park, including buildings at Rollins College. And Gamble's brother, who was very close to, was also an, an architect who, who recently retired. So the, the Winter Park community is just filled with uh, all types of buildings and retail centers and office buildings and so forth that have the mark of the Rogers family. And his father also played guitar. That's correct. His father was a tremendous influence in Gamble's uh, musical career. His father was a beautiful uh, banjo player, guitar player, played the piano, and actually uh, performed in a small band when he was in college, at Dartmouth College, in the 1920s. And he continued to play on an amateur basis throughout his adult life and was really the inspiration for, for Gamble uh, taking up music and, and, and playing the guitar. Well, one of Gamble's favorite lines is that he would tell his audiences that one of the reasons that he chose the path of a folk singer was because of the way his mother looked at his father when he played that thing, referring to the, the banjo or the guitar that his father would play. Uh, speaking with Bruce Horowitz, author of the new book, Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. And Gamble uh, went to college, University of Virginia, to become an architect? He really wasn't sure. He studied, he had three majors while he was at Virginia. He studied philosophy, uh, he, he studied, studied uh, architecture, and he studied writing. But he uh, really was unsure of his path, and uh, music was really his passion. He was playing at fraternity houses at, at the University of Virginia and was really a very accomplished guitar player by the time he was in his college years. And he had an encounter with William Faulkner, a great uh, American author who was doing a scholar-in-residence at University of Virginia while Gamble was there. And there are many, many versions of the story of really what happened when Gamble met Faulkner. But the clear message was is that Faulkner sort of admonished him for not following his dreams. If he wanted to be a writer and, and a, a singer, uh, that he should pursue those dreams. And so the Faulkner influence was considerable impact on Gamble. Uh, he, he followed in Faulkner's footsteps in terms of his writing style, the fact that he, like Faulkner, created a mythical county in Florida. And he learned an important lesson from Faulkner, which is if you're looking for stories, uh, look in your own backyard. Many of Faulkner's stories were, were based on situations in, in the history of Oxford, Mississippi, and Gamble's stories are based in part on his life growing up in Winter Park, as well as his summers in the Nacoochee uh, Valley in Georgia. I assume while in college he was a good guitar player, but the storytelling and the music didn't come together for Gamble in college. No, it, it, it really sort of emerged after his years with the Serendipity Singers and when he, he came back to Florida and uh, really started to try to make his mark as a folk singer. When he came back to Florida after his years touring with the Serendipity Singers, you know, folk music had really lost some of its luster. And in order to keep audiences engaged, 
uh, storytelling and, and talks in, in between songs were really part of keeping the audience engaged. And so Gamble sort of mastered that and uh, really made it a seamless transition between his storytelling and his, and his music playing. I th- it was the serendipity singers that, that initially caused him to drop out of college. Well, no, he, he dropped out of college to actually take music lessons from the blues guitarist Charlie Bird. And he dropped out of college, came back to Winter Park, and uh, eventually opened up a small cafe in Tallahassee called the, uh, the Baffled Night, along with uh, Paul Champion, who was a remarkable banjo player, and another uh, guitarist, Chuck Glore. And they made a go of it at the Baffled Night in Tallahassee, but it only lasted for about a year or two. He moved back to Winter Park to um, try his hand at folk singing at night, but he, he worked at the family firm for some time and moonlighted on weekends and on holidays and, and nights at, at folk festivals and actually traveled around the country to Greenwich Village and as far as California to play in folk clubs, all the while also dabbling in, in architecture with the family firm. But eventually the, the pressures of the family became such that he felt it would be best that he move away. So he actually was on his way to Boston, Massachusetts, to interview with a progressive architecture firm. And his thought was is that by going to Boston, he was familiar with the music scene there. He could potentially continue to look, try his hand at architecture, but he'd be away from the, the shadow of the family. And on his way to Boston, Massachusetts, he stopped off in Greenwich Village. And in Greenwich Village, there was an audition happening with the Serendipity Singers and actually auditioned one night in, the, in a folk club uh, at, uh, in Greenwich Village, and he was hired on the spot. And so he immediately went from sort of dabbling in both architecture and folk music to being automatically in with a well-known folk ensemble and was about to make an appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. I'm speaking with Bruce Horvitz. We're talking about the life of Gamble Rogers. Let me just play a couple songs here now. I'll start with... Uh, probably the Serendipity Singer's most popular song, and then I'll have uh, Gamble do one of his songs, The Philosopher. Ah, ah, oh, no, don't let the rain come down. Sixpence and he walked a crooked mile Had a crooked cat and he had a crooked mouse They all lived together in a crooked little house His crooked little man and his crooked little smile Took his crooked sixpence and he walked a crooked mile Bought some crooked nails and a crooked little bat Tried to fix his boots Well, I'm down in the hen house on my knees Thought I heard a chicken sneeze Or just the rooster saying his prayers Thanking the Lord for the hens upstate all the roosters praying and the hens are laying and little pullets just plugging along the best way they know how. 
Here I go talking about chickens in Charleston. I don't know any more about chickens right now than I did 20 years ago when I started playing this tune at the Terminal Tavern, but I'll tell you this. If you want to buy chickens in Ocklawaha County, there's one place to go, and that's Arendelle's Purina Store on the square in Snipes Ford. And chickens ain't all you can get at Arendelle's. You can get philosophy. Yeah, just go around the corner of the building to the loading ramp which fronts the city square for it is here upon this humble proscenium that there has gathered time out of mind a distinguished circle of rusticated sages and philosophers who through the assiduous cultivation of dialectic and discourse and the subtle implementation of aphorism and epigram have put in place a philosophy of existence posited on one dazzlingly simple revelation. Life is what happens to you while you're making other plans. <laughs> now, when I was just a little boy, just a kid, my dear mother would say to me, son, don't be hanging around downtown in front of that loading ramp listening to those old men talk that talk. Why not, mother, I said. Because you haven't got the judgment, was her reply. Well, how do I get judgment, mother, I said. She said, judgment is not the kind of thing you just go out and get. Judgment is a thing conferred upon you by experience. What's experience, I said. Never mind, came the reply. <laughs> I went down to the loading ramp and I confronted those philosophers. I said, hey, what's experience? They hollered back. They said, experience is what you get when you didn't get what you really wanted. <laughs> After that, I never gave a flip about judgment. Hey, 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 hey. Picking at the Terminal Tavern. Gamble Rogers, the philosopher, and before that we heard the serendipity singers. I am speaking on the phone with Bruce Horowitz, the author of Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. Did Gamble like his stint with the serendipity singers? Well, I think, you know, it was great for him to have a performing platform, but he really saw himself as, he, he called it as a hired gun. Uh, the serendipity singers had already enjoyed some success by the time he joined the group, and he was one of Know, several members, and I think Gamble realized that he had far more talent and far, far more to offer than he could, uh, you know, touring college campuses with, with the Serendipity Singers. And so the, the gig with them only lasted a, a short period of time uh, when Gamble, you know, decided to, to go out on his own. We also heard the philosopher, and Gamble's style, I, you know, I, I cannot place anybody else who did what he did. Well, that's one of the unique things um, about Gamble, is that not only did he sort of not pattern himself after you know anyone else, um, it was so unique, but it's been more than a quarter century after he's passed, and there's nobody out there that is trying to emulate Gamble. So it, it really was a very unique style of combining the storytelling with the ballads that he would sing, the intricate guitar picking, and it was just a rapid-fire act where he would just move from one piece to another. He often didn't give the audiences enough time to even stop and clap because he would constantly be in motion on stage, you know, telling a story, going into a song, and he could juxtapose you know, a beautiful love ballad 
uh, against some you know, raucous story you know, about the, the sort of characters who populated Ocklawaha County. So yes, the style was very, very unique, and uh, I don't really think it's been emulated by, by anyone, nor did he really pattern it after, after anyone. And the geographic locations that he's talking about, the Terminal Tavern and the Perina store, are, these are actual locations? Yeah, they, they, they really are. His stories are based on, you know, on locations that he was familiar with in Winter Park and also up in the Coochie Valley in Georgia. Originally, when he started his storytelling, uh, his stories were based in Georgia. But since he resided in Florida and was living in St. Augustine, he really decided to take those same stories and give them all a, a Florida base in the, in the mythical Ocklawaha County. Yes, the places like the Terminal Tavern, uh, Arendelle's Purina Store, and even his characters like Still Bill, uh, and others were all based on you know, real-life people and experiences, which really makes his storytelling so rich. What I also like about your book as well, Bruce, is that while this Greenwich Village folk thing was going up on in New York, there was an active folk scene in Florida that was happening as well. You know, there really was, particularly in the St. Augustine area where Gamble was sort of ruling the roost. You know, this story is so much about timing. Gamble grew up in central Florida in, in the, the late 40s and, and 50s. And when he returned to Florida after his stint with the Serendipity Singers in, in the late 60s, there had been a tremendous change. And, and the change was the enormous growth happening in central Florida. Cape Kennedy had become the space epicenter. Uh, and, of course, ground was being broken for Disney World. And these were tremendous changes. And so it was really a transition from old Florida to new Florida. And Gamble very much represented the old Florida. And so it's one of the reasons that he settled in St. Augustine, because I think it really brought back memories of, of his life in, in old Florida. And at the time in St. Augustine, there were, very, there were a few like-minded people, uh, all characters, all who had a certain amount of authenticity about them. And I think that the magical city of St. Augustine combined with some of these characters, like a, a Will McLean and Bob Patterson and Charlie Robertson and so many others in, in the folk movement, uh, really created a special, special time in St. Augustine that was in its own way its own kind of Greenwich Village. So it really was a, a remarkable time, a remarkable period of music and, and creativity in Northeast Florida. It was Will McLean who, would you say, created the Florida folk theme? Oh, well, he's clearly the, the father of Florida folk music and you know, was the author of so many songs about Florida and was so passionate about you know, the conservation of the land and uh, really despised the, the development that was going on. And obviously, he and Gamble became very, very close friends. Gamble looked to Will McLean as, as a real inspiration and helped solidify his own passions about Florida. So they toured together, they cavorted together. Uh, Gamble often uh, bailed Will McLean out of jail during one of his uh, drunken stupors, but they were very, very close friends and had enormous respect for each other. And of course, Will McLean was just a, such a prolific songwriter and added so much to the, the folk culture of Florida. It seems like Gamble stuck out because here you have Will McLean, who was kind of a rogue. He kind of Gamble had to bail him out of jail, and here comes Gamble, who was a a scholar and uh, came from a good family. And it doesn't seem like he fit into the folk crowd, but he he created that folk scene. Well, he really did, and and you know he had so little in common with some of the people who, that he was hanging out with and who revered him so much. But Gamble was you know, authentic uh, in and out. And, and what you saw with Gamble on stage and what you saw with Gamble in his act was, was who he was. 
And he was a folklorist through and through. Uh, even in his days in Greenwich Village, when there were a lot of political songs and people were sort of telling you the right way to, to vote and, and to act, Gamble's act stuck to, to the folklore tradition. And so he was really a folklorist. And, and I think that uh, his authenticity, uh, his, his obvious genius uh, on stage, his charisma, really made him stand above uh, so many others. And he really became the go-to guy in the Florida folk movement. If you had a new song, you sort of ran it by Gamble. Uh, if you had an idea about something, uh, you ran it by Gamble. And, and he always had the time. He always had the patience with, with people. And he always had the right way of sort of uh, instructing you or telling you how it might be better or how you might improve something. So he, he really did become sort of the, the head of the Florida folk movement, particularly at venues like the Florida Folk Festival, where he really was the, you know, the main headliner for, for so many years and influenced so many musicians and brought so, many, so much new talent uh, to the stage. I'm speaking with Bruce Horvitz, author of the new book, Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. And uh, it's also a lot about Florida and the folk music that has developed uniquely in Florida. Sadly, in 1990, things started to change. Gamble's father passed away. Will McLean, the Florida troubadour, passed away. And Gamble seemed to be uh, not in a real positive attitude back then. Well, you know, he had lost some people that he was really close to. In a matter of three or four years, uh, Paul Champion had passed away, who was Gamble's really first musical partner and somebody that he just uh, revered. And, and Paul Champion, of course, was just an amazing uh, banjo player. So Paul Champion, uh, Jim Ballou, and uh, Will McLean all, all passed away in a three- or four-year period, as well as Gamble's father. And so, uh, yeah, it was, a, it was sort of a transitional period. He, I, w- I wouldn't say he was the last man standing, but, but these were some giants in the folk movement, and, and Gamble was sort of the last one left, and still at a very young age, only, only 54 and he was also, you know, experiencing some some difficulties, continued difficulties with his back. And Gamble lived in pain. Uh, he had an arthritic condition that was diagnosed in, in high school that made it very difficult for him to maneuver properly. And this was a, a, a very difficult health issue for Gamble. Those that saw him perform would notice that he almost had to rotate his entire body on stage to, to move around. It didn't stop him from moving around. He never complained about it. And most people really didn't know about it unless you really knew Gamble, but he really did suffer physically from this arthritic condition. And that arthritic condition is probably what did him in when he attempted to save a drowning woman in uh, St. Augustine Beach, and uh, unfortunately it didn't end well for either the either Gamble or the woman. Right. Yeah, it was, and actually it was a, it was a Canadian uh, male tourist. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, yeah. and those that knew him said that he never had a chance when he went into the went into the ocean to try to save this tourist, total stranger to him. But they also, those that knew him said Gamble had no choice. It was what Gamble was going to do. He had heard the screams of a young teenage girl who came running up that said her father was in trouble in, in the ocean. And Gamble blew up a nearby air mattress and stripped down to his underwear and a T-shirt and went out on the raft and tried to, to rescue this, this individual. But, of course, uh, we all know that the, the, the heroic and tragic end that of the, the Canadian tourists in Gamble uh, lost their lives during that uh, nor'easter in October off the coast of uh, Flagler Beach. And there's still nobody who can do what Gamble did. You know, there really isn't. I, I think that what has been important is I think many people have realized Gamble's importance to the folk movement, the folk community, particularly in Florida, 
And so there have been you know, a lot of efforts to continue his legacy. There's a middle school in St. Augustine named the Gamble Rogers Middle School. There's an annual folk festival in St. Augustine that uh, is always in the first week of May that brings in all types of folk talent from across the country. And, of course, the, the state park in Flagler Beach, where he you know, met his heroic and tragic end, uh, was renamed shortly after uh, his death the Gamble Rogers Memorial State Recreation Area at Flagler Beach. Interesting, I, I did a presentation there yesterday. And it really was, was very moving to be there and to um, you know be at the spot and uh, have so many people who camp there and who visit the park you know, wanting to know more and more about who Gamble was. Again, it's one of the reasons that I wrote the book, because I feel like with the continuation of his legacy, so little was really known about him. And so I really think it's an important part of Florida history, part of our folk history. And so um, I'm hoping in some small way that having this book out will uh, continue to, to educate people about Gamble and, and contribute in some small way to his important legacy. Bruce Horowitz, his book is called Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. It's on University Press of Florida. I'm going to play one more Gamble song, but before I do that, I'm going to play a song that was written by Steve Gillette called I Remember Gamble, but this one is done by Dale Kreider. Tell me who Dale Kreider is. Dale Kreider is one of the most interesting folk singers in the, in the Florida folk movement. They call him Spider Kreider. Dale Kreider worked as a biologist with the Everglades, and, uh, but combined his love of Florida with his folk singing and guitar playing ability. Very much uh, was influenced by Will McLean and was a very, very close friend of Gamble's. He lived in the, the Gainesville area and really was a, a, um, a major uh, contributor to Florida's folk music tradition. And he sings about the environment. He sings about conserving uh, Florida's beautiful resources. Bruce Horowitz, author of Gamble Rogers, A Troubadour's Life. It was a very enjoyable read, and I learned a lot about Gamble in the state of Florida. Bruce, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. Well, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And uh, Appreciate all you do to continue the uh, interest in folk music in the state of Florida with your show. So thanks so much for having me. He's gone on a little further now A little deeper in the stars He went down into the water To help to save a drowning man And he left this world Holding out his hand He was a master at my Mississippi John and Agamemnon Jones He had that magic in his hands He played the old songs and they still rang true He was a poet and philosopher too And he said life is just what happens to you While you're making other plans 
stars. 